Welcome to Optimal Conversations, the podcast where we dive into stories and have amazing life-changing conversations. Our goal, to help you understand what works and what doesn't so that you never have to worry about feeling lost for words again. My name is Mary Wong and I am your host. And today we have Chris Cotter. Chris is a single mother to five, a dedicated workplace health and safety professional, and an inspiring example of resilience. She balanced raising her family with completing both bachelor's and master's degrees. Wow. Her 12-year career in safety began after a near-fatal accident while working in construction. Today, Chris is the sole female construction inspector at her level with Workplace Health and Safety Queensland, dedicated to ensuring worker safety. Chris Cotter's journey is one of determination, dedication, and a commitment to making a difference. Welcome, Chris, to Optimal Conversations podcast. Hi, Mary. Thank you very much for having me. I'm pretty excited. So, yeah, it's yes. great to have you with us. Now, I met you oh, a couple of months ago now at some awards. You won an award for women in business. Could you tell me what that was? I won Business Professional of the Year with Beam Awards. It was a shock to the system, but I was so excited. And we were sitting at the same table. That's how we met. It was it was great. It was very exciting. And the thing that really inspired me when I met you, when you stood up to make your speech, and it was only a really short speech, but it was incredibly impactful because you talked about your journey, about doing this with five kids by yourself. Wow, what a journey. That's an amazing uh, achievement for you to, to get through all of your study and to level up in business at that level, in, in your profession at that level. That's really amazing stuff. And it inspired me to want to talk to you because this conversation is about the conversations we don't have or the conversations that we avoid. And I think for women going through the sorts of things that you went through that led to that single motherhood and the time throughout that single motherhood as well of doing what you needed to do to actually achieve that, I think these are conversations that need to be out in the open so that people have, you know, an example, a role model, if you like, to follow, to model after and to be inspired by. So can I take you back to that point before you became a single mum? You were in a long-term relationship? Yep. I was with my then husband and I was going through some very horrible domestic violence, not physical, but um, mental abuse before then and it was really horrible but it got me to a point where I was useless I was worthless I was a bad parent I wasn't good for anything I'd never make anything of myself and that's how I felt for a few years so there were those beliefs underlying there because of what was going on definitely Mm. Um, and although even then I was a strong woman. I did have two children before I met my husband, but they were very young and I was a very independent, you know, woman then before I met him. But it's um, surprising how easily it seemed that someone that you love and you marry and you you expect to spend the rest of your life with can bring you down and make you Mm -hmm. actually believe what they are saying is true, even though now I know it definitely isn't. At the time in that in that space, you actually believe that it's that it's true, and that's that's who you are. 
Yeah, because quite often people look at women in violent relationships. Well, first off, before I go too much into that, there's that assertion that it's not a violent relationship if they're not hitting you. And I think that's a personal belief rather than an outside belief. Most people outside can go, oh, God, no, that's violent. But inside, inside you, there's this belief that, well, he hasn't hit me. It can't be that bad. Maybe it's just me. Is that correct? That's very, very true. And I actually got to the point where I would tell him, I would verbalise, can you please hit me so the bruise would heal because you are destroying my brain and my head and my insides are churning and I'm mentally, I was a mess. So I actually Mm. told him, you know, I asked him, can you please hit me because I'd prefer to be hit and the bruise to go away than to keep this mental turmoil just going over and over in my head. So you were aware of it. You weren't unaware of what was going on. You realised he was hurting you. Yes, yes. But did you think of it as abuse at the time? Not at the time, definitely not. I did not think of it Mm. as abuse and I think that's probably why I said to him, can you hit me as well, you know, because it's like, well, okay, there's a, a physical, something physical actually happening that you've done to me and it's not just the mental anguish which is, you know, we haven't been together now for nearly 17 years, 17 years, 16 years. So, you know, when you look that far back and prior to that, domestic violence wasn't on the, you know, out in the open and as public yeah. as what it is yeah. now. And it was very kind of secretive what happens behind your doors are personal. It's none of your, no one else's business. Keep it to yourself. People don't want to hear it. So Yeah, don't air your dirty laundry in public, right? That's right, exactly. Don't go Mm. and tell your friends what your husband's doing to you when when the door's shut. That's none of their business. So, you know, you know, exactly like you're talking about with your podcast, is those conversations. You couldn't have those conversations. Mm. It was like Mm. you weren't allowed to. It wasn't the thing to do. You just don't do that. Yeah, you don't talk about it, you keep it quiet. And then mm. there's, because we don't talk about it, it's a bit like mental health stigma, because we don't talk about it, because we don't keep it quiet, there's a stigma attached to it which causes us to self-judge. How could yeah. I get myself into this position? How could I, you know, it's all my fault, you know, I've made my bed, I've got to lie in it, all those sorts of thoughts that go around in our head, yes. compounded by a person who is making you feel less and less and less with their actions, with their behaviours. So that was the first thing was that a lot of people don't realise when they're in that situation that verbal abuse is also abuse. That's they, correct. They kind of feel that, you know, he hasn't hit me. It's okay, he hasn't hit me. Um, the other thing is a lot of people from the outside look in and go, why don't they leave? Yes. And I dare say you would have heard that, why yes. don't you leave? My dad was the only person I really spoke to. He's been my, he was a single dad too, mind you. So he brought me up and he he was like, just leave, darling, take the kids and go. But it's, it's not, it's not that easy when you've, Mm. you know, we've bought our first home. We've got five children in the house. They're in school. I was working. He wasn't working. You know, it's not, you can't just. It's not just that easy. You know, we didn't really have a savings account to go, okay, well, I can just take the savings and run and take pack a bag and go. It just doesn't seem because you're not just thinking about you getting out of it. You've got your children. So I had my children I'm thinking about. Okay, so it's not just what they're seeing and hearing their father say and how he speaks to all of us and 
mainly me, but, you know, he did speak to the children in a way that, you know, nothing was ever kind of quite good enough. could always do better. But it's the, their friends at school, you know. I'm going to upheaval them from their school they've been going to and their friends and their routine and all that kind of stuff. So you have all of this stuff, you know, playing in your head that, you know, makes it hard to go. And then you you have that thought, well, okay, maybe if I change what I'm doing, I must be doing something wrong because my, he's my husband. He loves me. He's why he wouldn't say that if he didn't if if it wasn't true. So maybe I'll change what I'm doing and I'll do something differently and it'll all get better and I won't have to go anywhere. And that's kind of how you you think about these things. Well, that's how I think about it anyway. And I'm sure other women are very similar you know, mm. in, in the way they think um, when they're going through something like this with that mental abuse. Yeah, because it is, I mean, that's very common to women who've been through that situation whenever I talk to them, that very similar sorts of things that come up, you know, oh, he must be right, it must be me. The other thing that I've been told is because, you know, what you said earlier around where your belief system was sitting that you believed you weren't any good, you weren't, yep. a, you weren't a good wife, you weren't a good mother, you weren't a, you know, a good person because of the things that he was saying to you. Because even though you start off in that relationship as a strong woman um, and a, a woman who's, who's quite self-sufficient in many ways, quite regularly, and I see this over and over as well when I talk to women who've been through this, they're nearly always women who were functioning at quite a high level went into this relationship with this person who then just chipped and chipped and chipped and chipped away so that they kind of stopped functioning. And when that person before the relationship had, if if they had been treated like the way they were in that moment, in the in the moment of abuse at the start of the relationship, they would have turned heel and gone in exactly. two seconds flat, right? Exactly. But it's because they've chipped away. He's kept yep. chipping away at you and eroded you to a point where you didn't have the fight left in you. Would that does that sound right? That's it. Does it does it, exactly right? And exactly like you said, if if I would have seen this type of behaviour when we met, it wouldn't have even got as far as a, a second date. You know, you would have gone, mm. well, yeah, there's red flags here. Red um, flags all over the place. That's yeah. right, exactly. But you hear about it all the time from women who they put on this persona, um, these men do, to attract the women and they're these Mr Nice Guy until they've kind of like got their grips on you and you're already falling in love and everything and then all of a sudden their true colours come out. I'm not mm. sure. And you know what? I always say this. It's the same both ways. I've actually seen it in relationships with men with women as well. I yes, know we do yes. hear about women and a lot more. It is a lot more prevalent in, you know, society, but I have heard the same the other way. Like the person puts on this persona mm. of who they are um, to, to kind of attract somebody and then their real real personality comes out. Yeah, and it's definitely not dependent on gender. No. It definitely no. helps both ways. Mm, mm. It works both ways, sorry. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But it, it kind of... You know, it took a while for me to, you know, I was in a pretty bad space. I don't know what it was with, with the light bulb moment in my head and I was literally sitting in the corner of my our bedroom and I was like kind of sitting with my knees up and hugging my legs and I was rocking back and forwards, back and forwards. Mm. I had dribble. I was bawling my eyes out. I had dribble just drooling down my face and then I'd grab chunks of my hair and I was pulling hair out of my head and I ended up with ball patches because mm. I couldn't 
I, I couldn't fathom why I, I thought I'm mentally insane. I must be this man who is t- talking to me like this because it, it felt so true to me at a particular time. It was when I walked away from that day of me dribbling and rocking in a corner, like I was actually on the phone to mental health and said, you need to put me in a mental mental asylum, a mental, and, and I explained to them what's going on. And they said, Christine, you are not mental. You are not insane. You are just not coping with the situation that you have been put in and the, you know, the lead up to this moment. That, you are, that does not mean you are mental and it does not mean you are insane. It does not mean you're a bad person. And I think it was the I, – I, I don't even know what got me to make that call in that moment. I was literally in that moment and on the phone and pulling my hair out frustrated. And it was that moment that I've – when I heard someone else actually say, because the first people I really spoke to that was not my dad, that told me that and I went, right, well, I've just told a stranger all the stuff that I'm doing and how bad of a person I am, but they're just telling me I'm not. And I think there was then some realisation that, okay, I have to try and do something about this. Mm. And and that was actually one of the questions that I was going to ask you was if anybody did know what was going on, what would be the things to say or do that would let you know that you're supported and that you're not the person that you thought you were in your head? What and because you were having that conversation with clearly with a professional person who knew what to say in the moment. Yeah. But for a lot of us, we see our friends in this space where they're being treated badly and we kind of sit there and go, well, why don't they leave? I don't understand why they don't leave and what can I do to support them? And the thing that we try to do to support them usually is like, for goodness sake, leave. You know, you shouldn't be there. He's a bad person, blah, blah, blah. But instead of saying that, because you said your father was saying that, leave, love, just leave. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What What do you think he could have said that would have made you take action instead of just leave? That is a very, very good question, but it's a hard one to answer because even now I don't think there could there would have been anything my father could say I think the only way if some if someone you know is and it's a friend or a family member going through it and you know that it's abuse, you know that it's horrible, whether it's mental or physical, is I think the only way to get them out would to be physically going in there and saying, I don't care what you're saying and an extreme intervention and going, I'm taking you out of this situation and you are not coming back. We are packing a bag. And I don't care if I've financially got to help you do that. Whatever it is, I'm removing you from this situation because mm. you don't, because of the mind frame that you're in and the headspace that you're in, you want to believe what they're saying, but you also want to believe that things are going to get better. It's not like this all the time. We we have our good moments and we have fun, and but it, the bad moments are so bad. So I think I don't think from a friend or a family member, anything they said would have helped me get out. It was actually the voice of a stranger that I, when I finally actually called somebody to go, I'm mental, I'm insane, to put me, to, to have myself admitted into a, a, in, you know, a mental health institution because that's where I was. I was, that's clearly where I had to be. You were so broken. And, and, mm. and it was this total stranger that had actually, you know, 
told me that and it, and it was whatever the words were that she said, you know, telling me that I'm not, that I'm just dealing with a really bad and a horrible situation and it kind of must have just tweaked something in my head to go, mm. right. So actually what he's doing is is definitely wrong but th- that's not me. This is on him. It still took a little while, of course, to, you know, really get to the point where I could go, okay, I need to work on this. It wasn't too long, but um, it was that kind of moment that made me realise, okay, I have to start working on focusing on what a good person I am. And, look, I get my kids ready for school. I go to work. He's sitting at home doing nothing. I'm I'm doing all this stuff. I'm picking him up for sports. I'm doing. I'm going to the school functions. I'm doing all this. I'm a damn good mother. You know, yeah, so it's rebuilding your belief in yourself, mm. really, isn't it? So that That's you've right. got the strength to move. Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. Would that be your advice to a woman who was in that situation right now? Is look for the good things that you know you do. Look yes. for the things that you know you can do. Definitely, and if that is, even if that's just tiny little things. And that is exactly since then how I've gotten to kind of where I am now. It doesn't matter because I mean. Even walking out the door, life has still thrown a lot of curveballs at me. You know, just walking out the door was that first step. Or even prior to that first step of working, building up the resilience and the, the stuff I had to do to be able to walk out the door and still exposing myself to this situation but in a way where I was trying to block it out. It's, it's, it doesn't matter what happens in a day. If you've had, you feel like you've had the most crappiest day ever, focus on one thing that went well and just focus on that. It can be hard in a world of really, you know, when it's horrible, but even if it's, you know, one good thing where that cup of coffee I made today was damn good and I really enjoyed it and you just focus on how great that cup of coffee was, like that's how simple. And it, and I suppose it's hard to explain that to someone that's going through the situation, but if it and you know maybe coming from someone that has been through the situation and that's what how they focused it could be something to try it's like putting a crack in that black window yeah Just that tiny little crack and letting some light in right that's I right i often say to people one second at a time when we're struggling to mm-hmm. get through something stop looking at the day or the month or the year at a time start taking it right down to tiny little increments like one second at a time all right I got through this second I can get through the next second and just yes keep going isn't it to to keep going and then look for those tiny little things those Mm -hmm. tiny weeny little moments where you go yep I did that fine yep and because the more that you start doing that the more you start to believe you know what I I did do that fine and now I see this that I'm doing fine as well you start seeing more things that you do that you're doing great and you're doing fine and and that starts building your belief up to say well if I'm doing all this stuff so well especially you know a mum with children and I'm not taking away you know sink like women that don't have children because it's exactly the same you know um, headspace they can get in but if you're a mother with children and you can see all those little things that you're doing well for your children, you know, when your mm. kids come up and give you a hug and kiss and say, love you, mummy, or love you, mum, or, or whatever, just that even. Well, my child would definitely not say I love you if I was a really horrible person, you know. like you know, you, They wouldn't you, come and hug you either. That's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. you know, you start seeing more of the good that you do and you start realising you can put that barrier up when they say something 
wrong to you, you can start going, well, I've heard what you said, but I don't believe you. In your own mind, you can just kind of block mm. it out. Um, because hearing it doesn't mean you have to believe it, doesn't it? No, that's right. Exactly. Exactly. And it's yeah. just having that and then building that belief back up in yourself. Yep. And then from there, when you'd had that phone call with that person, how long did it take to leave from there? So it was probably just over a year, maybe about 18 months. It was, it still took a while because I still had that just not one bought this home. You know, the kids, where am I going to go? Five kids, where, what am I going to do? It was the planning. So I really had that planning. It was planning. So, and that's when I thought, well, I can't keep just being a cook and working, being a cook. I'm going to, Go to TAFE. Well, I, I ended up going to church, so I'm not really a, a churchy person, but there was a lady on the bus also. So this is a really, this is a, I love this story about like what, what happened with me. There was a lady that I kept meeting on the bus and she saw me all the time on my own, five kids, shopping bags. We're all carrying shopping bags on the bus when my car broke down and we're getting, and she said, you should come to our church. There's kids area, they've got, you know, Bible studies for the kids and Sunday school, I mean, and and, and and no one's judging and we can come and pick you up in our little church bus and, and you'll have so much fun. And I played it off for a while until around this time that this all happened, I was on the bus and I said, oh, hello, and I can't remember her name now. And I said, would you mind coming and picking us up off the bus and going so to remove us out and just to be around other people? So I I did that. That also kind of helped me at the time. Now I don't go to church now or anything like that, but but at that particular time it helped me get out and that's when I looked at it. They said to me, why don't you go and do some new courses and try and do something else? And, of course, at the time they said, oh, you know, ask the Lord what he was, you know, and I didn't know how to do that at the time. I just said, okay, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I literally just said that and opened a TAFE book up that came in the mail and it was rigger, scaffolder, crane operator, forklift driver, and I'm like, no way, are you for real? And I went, okay, I'm just going to do it, and I just did it. And that's how I become a rigger, scaffolder, crane operator while I studied for it at least while I was with him. And then I got some work as a scaffolder, which helped me build the money up to be able to get out. We'd actually separated in that time, so... I, I then also caught him cheating on me. That was another thing. I'd already built my resilience up to know that I was good enough. I'd just done these courses and I was the only female in these courses. I come home and he cheated me. He was with a woman when I came home and I just said, get out of my house now. So she got out. Um, I helped him. I could afford it. I helped him um, get a rental property. I gave him half the linen, half the kitchen, half everything. I kept paying the house payments. So I'd kind of got myself to a point where I didn't need you anymore. I'd built some confidence back up. But that's from that focus, you know, making sure I knew that all this good stuff that I was doing. And, yeah, once he was gone but he still had the children back and forth, that made it easier then for me to pack up the house and come up with a story on what we were doing. We were moving house now. I can't afford to buy this house on my own. You know, so it was kind of true, but there was some untruths in there to protect myself and the kids on getting away and we we just moved to a different, we moved from Victoria back home to Queensland. 
And there would have been some pretty tough conversations with the kids in there, no doubt. Oh, my gosh, there was. And I suppose you've still beat yourself up because you've got to lie in a way. You've got to twist the truth. You know, you've got to you – know, it was my dad's birthday, you know, up here in Queensland, so I was saying we're going to dad's birthday, so that was true. Why are we packing the house up? Why have we got a truck coming? Why is our car going on the truck, you know, and – I had to say that I'm finding a new place to live, which was true, but it wasn't going to be in the next town over that I said it we were going to. It was a totally new state for them. So they're the hard because you feel like a bad parent then. So your mind goes back to, of course, I'm, all right, I'm a bad parent because now I'm removing the kids away. I'm telling them lies. That's not the truth. I'm going to take their dad away, you know, take them away from their dad. Although he has been super abusive to me, some of the way he parented wasn't the best, but who's perfect? The kids still loved him. He's their dad. And so I'm going to be a horrible mum again and remove the kids from their dad. So you still have all that playing through your head mm-hmm. as well. So the conversations with them and, and then leaving and being in Queensland the, the, was like, how long, why are we staying in a motel so long? How come... How come we went and had a look at this house up here and I and then I just had to spill the beans and I couldn't let them speak to their father to let him know where we were at the time um, because prior to that I was in a high-security women's refuge for a little while before we totally split up. Um, you know, so there's a lot of stuff there and it's like, okay, I just have to lie to protect myself and the kids um, and it was more protection of me because the kids' abuse wasn't the same. Although I won't remove that, it was it was different to, to mine. He'd never mm. he never physically hurt them either. It was more of what they seen happen between us. So yeah, yeah, it's, it's a modelling of behaviour, though, isn't it? Because that's right. if we realise that as our children grow, they learn what they live. So what they see about relationships is what they learn about relationships is what they're seeing at home. And, you know, that creates problems. So that has happened. Since that has happened. My eldest son, so my eldest son is now 28. So he was um, three, not quite three when I met my husband and he was mm. nearly 13 when I left and came to Queensland. Mm. So he had 10 years. So those formative years in the brain, right, because their brains are like little sponges at that age and yeah. that forms the pathway. So that's when they're about 12 that the extra matter goes away. So they've already formed that pathway. So it's that's impressive right. years, impression yeah. years. And same with my yeah. second eldest son, but it's, it's weird how so there was some behaviour when he was a teenager, but he's like this gentle giant now. He's like the it's not the same. But now, you know, my my eldest son has, um, you know, got domestic violence charges on him. He's been to, to jail for domestic violence three times. Um, and that's so it, sad. And so as even when he's an adult and that's happening, you still go back to that, well, this was my fault. I allowed it happen for so long. It was, you know, I, I stayed in the relationship longer than I should have. If I got out sooner, he wouldn't have been exposed for so long. So you still have those really I'm a crappy mum conversations. Is still yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's a sort of a hangover from what the what the things that he said and did mm. to you when you were with him, isn't it? Yeah. That's right. Yeah. So it's a constant it's a constant companion for you. What do you say to those thoughts when they come in? I, I just knock them down straight away. So I may, it, the thought might come up and I now, because it's been so long and, um, of telling myself, 
stop it. He's an adult now also. He knows right from wrong, you know, when it comes to my kids. It's not your fault. You can only do so much with what you know at the time and what life has, you know, what life, you know, has for you at the time. Mm. You've, you have since then taught them so much better and they know right from wrong. And that's what I just, I just have to, you know, it's not my fault. I, I, yep. I, I didn't treat my husband like that. I didn't treat my children like that. He, it was him putting the behavior on me. So I know what I've done since the day I walked out that door is far better than whatever happened prior to that. Yep. And, they, and yep. kids make their own choice from the age of, you know, well, some of them start at four, but they want to make their own decisions. But, you know, once they hit high school, they're 12, 13, 13 years old, 14, they start making their own, like seriously starting making their own decisions. Yeah. And they start building their path to adulthood, you know, at that age. And then once they hit mm. 18, it's totally out of, well, it's really 16 really, but 18, it's it, they're in control. It doesn't matter what you can say. The thing about those pathways in your brain is that you can form new ones. Yes, and you just definitely. have to choose to, That's right. to change that behaviour and maintain a different behaviour to yes. make sure that that pathway becomes the go-to rather than the old one yeah, yes exactly yep. so definitely it is a choice that people can make mm-hmm. I want to jump forward a little bit because you know you you got out of that relationship you studied how on yes. earth do you study at that <laughs> level with five kids that's unbelievable I actually really did think I was going insane when I decided that I was going to go to university so I actually had a workplace accident and I nearly never made it home. So I had an eight-foot steel scaffold plank drop six metres in a power station and I was holding it with my right hand, a four-foot steel scaffold plank, and a, the eight-foot plank dropped straight down above me and it actually, instead of me bending over, passing the, the plank I had in my hand down, I'd stood up because the person wasn't there to grab it. And even when I stood up, the plank came right down beside my face, hit my right mm. shoulder, my right elbow and crushed my right hand in my rigger's glove and I, I dropped that plank and it was only just below me two metres. I didn't hit anybody. But so when that incident happened, I had to have meals on wheels. I had cleaner come. I had a cannula in my left because they wanted to put me in hospital. I couldn't go to hospital because I had five children at home and in a town where no one knew me. So the workplace had to take me to the hospital three times a day to get antibiotics in my drip because I had two broken fingers and busted hand and they were worried the infection would get into my bones and I'd lose my fingers. So I had the kids helping me dress. Um, I couldn't do anything for a couple of weeks until the cannula came out and then it was longer with my right hand. So I always kind of knew that I wanted to do some kind of safety study from being at, you know, working in construction, I was always in the back of my head. I did a certificate three while I was, you know, doing construction, casual work. And and then a friend of mine said, why don't you go and get a degree? And I went, <coughs> I had a bit of a laugh. I said, oh, I can't do a degree. I haven't been in high school or done anything like that for a long time. And they said, just apply for it anyway. And even if you get in, you don't. if you don't want to do it, you don't have to. So I went, all right, a diploma I would have had to have still done online and come over, you know, go away to do things so I went all right okay I went to the C- Central Queensland Uni and 
and um, pl- apply it online. And and as a you know an adult student going in, you've got to get so many points to just going straight into a degree. And they said you've been accepted into the Bachelor of Occupational Health and Safety, and I'm like. Well, looks like I'm doing a degree. I'm not sure how or what, but so I don't know. I think the res- the resilience building up to that moment, and then having an accident. I don't know um, the resilience I had to build, you know, in myself from that. Being confident, I worked with a whole heap of guys in construction, and these guys, you know, were telling me. And this chick works harder than us. Like they gave me confidence. I was the only girl, and all these guys are like. She works harder than the blokes and they made me feel better about myself. So I just went, well, okay, let's just work this out. Um, went and got mm. my textbooks and did what I needed to do and kept working as a truck driver, driving a little truck with TNT around town, delivering stuff to have an income, put the kids in school. I, I, don't, I can't tell you exactly how as there was no plan. It was just you just have to do this. It's just what you have mm. to do. Um, so I did that, passed, proud, one of my proudest moments, you know, five kids at school working. I The last um, 18 months or the 12 or so, the 18 months prior to finishing, I was struggling with the work and the kids and I actually went on study, and I felt guilty about that because I wasn't working. So, and I had a couple of friends saying, don't you dare, you've worked your whole life. If you mm-hmm. go on Aus study and get a government payment while you're raising five children and your university to, they just said, don't you dare feel bad about that. And that, you know, that mentality comes back. I went, okay. So I got on Aus study. So I got on Aus study and a parenting payment. And six months before I finished, I thought I need to go and look for a job. So I looked for a graduate program just to get my foot in the door. And the graduate, I rang this construction company up and they said, well, we're actually looking for a safety advisor too, but it just depends on the applications. I put my application in. I have construction background before I started studying and six months away from graduating from a bachelor's degree. Within 30 minutes of hitting send on a Friday afternoon, I get a phone call. Can you come in for the safety advisor's job on Monday? Yes. So I've gone from being on Study to now my highest paying job I've ever had in my life and I was earning $129,000 a year with this new job Fantastic. that I got. And I'm like, oh, yeah. you know, it, it just all, and that just gives you the confidence because I didn't think I'd get it. I had a break. I, I worked, but then I went, I still had the study bug. I did a diploma for 12 months just to have a bit of a break from study. People will say, yeah, right, a diploma, a break from study. Well, from the university degree to a diploma, that was a break. I could drag it out. It was no pressure on me. I could. I had a whole year to finish it. And then I went and thought, I'm going to do a master's degree. So I enrolled to do a master's of advanced safety science practice. I got into that, of course, because I already had the – and I – I did that. That was a three-year degree and I passed that as well. And that little tiny, starting from that little tiny positivity, and this is what I look back on now and I try and say to my kids, it doesn't matter what your day's like. If you focus on the positive, it doesn't matter how small, the positive will keep getting bigger. And it has to the last, you know, probably 18 months of my life. 
it's like all those little bits of positivities have just gone into this. My whole life could not be any better, happier. I I even appreciate all that crappy time I went through because I wouldn't be who I am now and be able to talk to people like I do now if I hadn't gone through those experiences. Not that mm. you wish that on anybody, but no, it's I'm. I appreciate it. I get it. Yeah, I look back on the really bad stuff that I went through because I went through some pretty horrible stuff through the years as well. And I always look back on that now and go, thank you, because that made me who I Mm. am now. And that gave me that determination and that mental strength to get through all these other things. And I really believe that when you can get to a point where you're grateful for the bad stuff that happened, because there's some terrible stuff out there but when you get to that point where you're grateful for it that's when you've really self-actualized that's when you're really sitting in that space of being I'm me and I'm authentically me and I'm Mm -hmm. very comfortable being me and that's such an exciting thing to see particularly when someone's had a journey that you like you've had where you started in that space of zero self-belief if you're looking at that moment you know sitting in that room in the corner Mm-hmm. to where you are now yep. and everything's going good now, right? I, it's amazing. I, I, I could, I, if life got any better, I'd be floating. Like that's how I feel right now <laughs> and it's such an extreme. But like winning that award as well um, and in saying that, no one nominated me. I actually nominated myself for an award because I actually thought if I can't back myself because I know I'm doing a really good job, then who else is going to back me? So mm. that was the first time I actually really thought, you know what, I'm, I'm going to just, I'm going to nominate myself and I'm not going to feel bad about it because I'm worth winning that award. Of course you yes, still go, yeah. radio. I'm going to nominate myself but I've got to go through all that process and all that and there's going to be all these amazing, I'm, I'm probably not going to win but you still have that. Those thoughts are still there but it's not the same similar but it's not mm. the same I just went you know what I'm gonna do it and I did it and then the shock on my face you would see the shock on my face it was, it was like, you were so oh. stunned <laughs> and so and my oh, partner it was beautiful to see. Yeah. <laughs> it was he beautiful had tears to see in his and your eyes. partner seems absolutely adorable like I, I was looking at the two of you together that night thinking oh he's so sweet you just we are like soulmates we were just we just like neither of us looking for a relationship and it's just soulmates have just clashed and we just compliment each other mm. but yeah it's so thank you beautiful to know that we can progress to that yeah and I guess yeah. um you know I've just taken so much out of talking to you today there's been so mm. many lessons around you know finding that little crack of light a yes. little bit of positivity and allowing it to grow and you know just the bit about when you were saying about going and doing the, the university study and going I don't know how I'm going to do this but I'm just going to do it yeah. and and you yep. know, sometimes in life, that's that's the lesson that we need, isn't it? Yep. To just stop holding back. Don't don't even think about holding back. Don't even no. think about how you're doing it. Just go with it and see yep. what comes out. Because you know, even if you hadn't won that award that night, you were the winner because you had got to the point where you have that belief in yourself, yep. where you have that self strength, and you recognise your self strength and your resilience mm-hmm. that you were able to go. You know what? I'm worthy of this. Yes. I'm going to write this application. I'm going to apply for this thing and I'm just going to do it because I'm worthy of it. And yeah. whether you won or not is inconsequential. Really. No, that's exactly it's right. Fantastic to win. Yeah. So yeah. Good to win. 
<laughs> no, but what a journey, Chris. Wow, oh. that's such an exciting thing. Thank you so much for sharing with us. No worries. If you had one thing to say to people before you leave today, one thing that, one message that you wanted to get out to people, what would it be? Do not give up on yourself because you are, you're worth it. Don't give up. Keep going. Even if you feel like you don't want to, one more step, one more second, even like you said, it's just just don't give up. And I suppose there's two. It's that, that light at the end of the tunnel. I, I can't, I say it nearly every day to somebody. It doesn't matter how, what your day is, there's always going to be a positive out of it. There's always a positive in your day. It doesn't matter what it is and focus on that. Mm. I love it. When my kids were growing up, I used to call it the WWW moment, the what went well. Oh, because awesome. they'd say, I oh, you know, had a terrible day at school, everything went wrong, and I'd go, oh, okay, what went wrong? And they'd tell me, and then I'd go, so what went well today? And usually yeah. they'd go, nothing. Yeah. Go, really? So you yeah. didn't have a moment where you played with someone or had a laugh? Oh, yeah, that happened. Okay. So let's about <laughs> yeah. talk about that for a yeah, while, yeah, and then that would yeah. change their mood. So, yeah, yeah. the what went well. That's awesome. Definitely. Yeah, that's I good. absolutely agree with you. It's, mm. it's brilliant. Thank you so much, Chris. It's, no it's a very Thank vulnerable share to mm. share that sort of information. And it's very important, very, very important that we talk about things like this because if we don't, we end up in a corner yes. tearing our hair out, yes. thinking that we're going to end off you know, yep. end up in a in an institution. And we don't want that to happen to anyone else. So if there is somebody out there who's struggling with this situation, help is available. Please do reach out. Yes. Reach out to a friend, reach out to your GP, reach out to the mental health lines, lifeline, any of those places. But as Chris says, believe in yourself. Don't give up. Take it one second at a time. Look for those positives and you will find that strength and that resilience to move forward. I honour you for the journey that you've been on, Chris, and I honour every person who's on that journey right now. It's a tough journey. But look what's possible. You are <laughs> what's you. possible right now. So thank you so much. What an exciting <laughs> thank you, Mary. Recording. I appreciate it. I really appreciate your time, Chris. So, uh, folks, I'll sign off now and... Have a great day and remember, just keep talking. Keep talking. That's what's really important. Thanks, Chris. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Optimal Conversations podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button where you get your podcasts. And if you'd like to improve your ability to clearly communicate so you can step up as a leader, go to optimalcoaching.com.au and book a chat for your chance for an optimal conversation about how we can make that happen. This is Optimal Conversations and I am Mary Wong, signing off for now. Keep talking. Keep talking.